but I'm going to talk about this ancient calendar that's so dear to every one of us. You know, our Father in Heaven has given us an annual calendar replete with fixed times to celebrate His Son and redemption. The redemption that He secured for us who believe. The calendar functions in different ways for us. It reveals the cycle of redemption and the cycle of sanctification. It also unveils and reveals the glory of who Jesus is along with his mission here and also the age to come. As we understand and keep and observe and celebrate the appointed times of this sacred heavenly calendar, Jesus is introduced to all those around us and in our circles of influence. It is in the observance of this calendar that people get to encounter and experience the presence of Jesus, who is the Savior and King over everyone and everything. So uh, today we're going to jump in and look at this dance of redemption that we find in the calendar that informs our lives and shapes our lives to the glory of Jesus. So Leviticus chapter 23 Verses 1 and 2. There we go. Thank you, Jesus. This is what it states. The Lord told Moses to say to the community of Israel, I've chosen certain times for you to come together and worship me. We call these appointments. God says, I've got certain times, fixed times. The Hebrew uh, has, conveys the idea of fixed times. They're, they're set appointments on his calendar for us to come together to worship, to receive instruction from him. And these are given to the community of Israel as Gentiles. If you're a Gentile in Messiah, you might scratch your head and say, well, yeah, that's for the Jews. No, it's for the community of Israel. Who are you? As a believer in Jesus, who are you? You're the community of Israel. That's right. You join believing Jews. And together, the Gentiles with believing Jews comprise the Israel of God. That's why these texts are relevant for all believers. You see, when you separate and do away with Israel and try to become the new Israel, all of this doesn't make any sense. Or if you just separate yourself from Israel and say, no, 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 we're not Israel, we're the church. You know, that gets really confusing, right? Because if you're not Israel, none of this matters. But what happens if you are Israel? Paul says you're grafted into a Jewish olive tree, the olive tree of Israel. In Ephesians 2, he says you're a citizen with full citizen status in the Israel of God. You're in, you're a part of Israel. So I'm the church. No, Israel's the church. Acts chapter 7 clarifies that. The church began in the wilderness with Moses. Israel was the called out ones from Egypt. We're joining her in Messiah. You and I in Messiah are a part of Israel. That's why this calendar is relevant and is important to you. There's, there's a number of reasons why it's important, but that's the central one. So God goes on to say in verse 3 through Moses, you have six days when you can do your work, but on the seventh day of each week is holy because it belongs to me. The seventh day is holy. It belongs to God. The other days are common days. Sunday through Friday is a common day. They're common. 
The Sabbath is holy. Holy to the Lord your God. It's holy to your God. No matter where you live, you must rest on the Sabbath and come together for worship. This law will never change. I wish I had time to work and develop that. I don't. Suffice it to say, these are fixed times. They don't change. Now, the story of the Maccabees is all about what? The emperor changing the very laws of God, forbidding the appointed times. And that spirit is with us today. It's been here for 2,000 years, always messing with the ways of God. But God calls his people to stay true and faithful to his ways. So let's look at these appointed times. There's actually, arguably, seven or eight, right? I'm going to go with eight. You'll see why in a moment. Eight annual appointed times on our calendar. Every year we go through those eight celebrations, eight appointed times. And they have seven mandated assemblies. Let's look at these. The first three spring celebrations. Number one. Passover, Passover, the 14th of Nisan, okay? So this is the 14th of Nisan, it's in the springtime, and you'll note that there is no convocation. A convocation is, a, is an assembly. It means to assemble corporately together. So on Nisan the 14th, when the lamb is slaughtered in the afternoon, there's no corporate celebration or assembly for that holy appointment. But the next day, which is in the evening when the sun goes down, that's when the day begins, is the festival called Unleavened Bread, which today we just call the week of Passover. Back there, it was separated, but as we come into the first century, the terms are used interchangeably. So we have Unleavened Bread, which is Nisan the 15th through the 21st. And there's two convocations in that week. It's a seven-day celebration, two convocations on the first day and on the seventh day. Times to gather together for worship and instruction. Within that week, we also have first fruits. And first fruits comes on the morrow after the Sabbath. So the Sabbath of Passover week, the next day being Sunday, is first fruits. Guess what? No convocation, no assembly. It's a holy day, but you celebrate that basically in your homes, in your home groups, with your families. But it's not an assembly that we join together, the entire community. All right, on to the summer. We have a summer celebration. It is Shavuot. And Shavuot comes 50 days after first fruits. So when first fruits hit, the day following the Sabbath of Passover week, Sunday, you count 50 days, and on the 50th day is Shavuot. It's a holy convocation, a time in which we come together corporately for worship. Now, let's go down to the fall celebrations. We have three, or if you will, four. We have Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah is the first one. It's on the first of Tishri, and there is a holy convocation. Following that comes Yom Kippur, 10 days later, on the 10th of Tishri. And there's also a convocation for that day. 
And then Sukkot. Sukkot is a whole week. It's a celebration for seven days from the 15th to the 21st of Tishri. But there's only one convocation in that week. It's the first day. And then we have on the eighth day, what we call the eighth day celebration, which actually isn't part of Sukkot. If you read that close, closely, that celebration, it's seven days. And then God says, and then on the eighth day, you'll have a, what? Holy assembly. Well, that's outside of that seven-day celebration. So technically, it is a separate festival. That's why I count eight rather than seven. You can make the case for seven, too, you know, because he says you're going to have a celebration of Sukkot for seven days. You're going to have a celebration on the first day and on the eighth day, as if the eighth day is part of that week. So you can read that different ways. I tend to say, no, actually, I... I think that's separate. There's a lot of scholarship that says it's outside of Sukkot. It's not part of Sukkot. It actually has meanings that are actually uh, tied into the number eight versus the week of Sukkot. Eight being what? The number of new beginnings because it's a cycle that returns and begins again with Passover as we go through the next year. And if you look at that, what you're going to find is this that ultimately in the fulfillment of that, we step into the eighth day because we're currently in the seventh day. We're living in the seventh day of the cosmic week of creation, the ongoing Sabbath day. And as long as it's a Sabbath, people can be saved, born again, join the kingdom of heaven. But when Jesus returns, the close of the seventh day comes to an end. And that's it. Then there's judgment. And then there's a new age, the eternal age. And in that eternal age, there's a new heavens and a new earth, new creation, the eighth day that never ends. So, so this calendar has so much tied into it. It is the very thing that informs us of redemption, of salvation, who God is, who his son is, what his son's going to accomplish on our behalf. The calendar is embedded in these realities, these ideas. In fact, I'll go so far as to say is. Paul made that, that case anyway, but the entire calendar really is about Jesus. The whole thing is pointing towards him. It's all about the Son of God. And when you look at these celebrations, you'll discover it's about Jesus through and through. That's why this calendar is important, because we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus in a very practical way that engages our five senses in these celebrations. The calendar keeps us if you will. It keeps us centered in Messiah, grounded in the grace of God that has come to us through faith in Jesus. That's why this calendar is so sacred to us, so important to us. That's why so many people are returning to this calendar. So let's look at some of the uh, ideas that are tied into these holy days and how they relate to Yeshua and who he is and what he'll accomplish. So the first one is Passover, right? What does Passover mean? To pass over. It's pretty simple, okay? Passover to pass over. And, and, and really what that's referring to is God is going to judge Egypt. He's sending in his final plague of death. It's going to go into their homes, and the firstborn in every family is going to die. And that's God's wrath poured out on Egypt for their rebellion and their sin. Because they would not repent, God will judge them. And so this is going to be a very horrifying uh, experience for everyone. It's the final plague, the 10th plague. 
And God tells his people, but if you'll take a lamb on the, what, the 10th day of the week and slay it on the 14th and put the blood of the lamb on your doorposts, when I see the blood, I will pass over the threshold of your homes and I will turn and, and prevent, be a buffer, if you will, so that that agent of death will not enter into your home so that no one will die. You and your household will escape the wrath coming upon Egypt. Passover, right? And what is the symbol of Passover again? The symbol is the slain lamb and its poured out blood. That's the symbol of Passover. The lamb slain and its blood poured out, applied to the doorposts of the house. And the meaning of that is that salvation you know, being saved is in reference to escaping the wrath of God's judgments that ultimately will come from a just God against a sinful world. We're saved by grace through the blood of the Lamb. That's what that symbolizes. And the initial fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. All of Passover finds its meaning and fullness in Jesus John says when he saw Jesus, he, he took his disciples and he pointed and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They understood the meaning of that. Everything about Passover lit up inside of them. They, they, they understood the fulfillment of what God had promised in the Passover is fulfilled in Jesus. He's the Lamb, the coming one, the Lamb of God, not our lambs that could never save us, but the Lamb of God, His blood poured out, will be the, the very thing that justifies us and saves us from the ultimate wrath of God that's coming against this world. The next day, Nisan the 15th, unleavened bread. What is unleavened bread? Bread without leaven. That's not too, I mean, that's easy, right? Unleavened bread is bread without leaven. It's the flat bread. It doesn't rise. There's no leaven in it. The symbol is what? Matzah, the festival of flatbread, unleavened bread, the festival of matzah. And what's the meaning of that? Well, when he saved them in Egypt, in their sin and shame, when he saved them in their slavery, in a dark kingdom symbolized by the serpent that they wore on the crowns of their pharaohs, right? God says, I'm going to come, I'm going to save you in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your sin. I will find you. I will save you there. And then get ready. Eat the Passover lamb with your sandals on and your staff in your hand, ready to go. And when I say run, run like you've never run before. Because my deliverance that will come will be a hasty deliverance. Right? Remember Forrest Gump? Run, Forrest, run. You just run and you keep running. Don't you look back. You run and get out of Egypt. And that next day on Nisan the 15th, God said, run. And they came out and they ran. And the bread that they had didn't have time to rise. And it baked on their backs as they carried it out of, out of Egypt. And this is the symbol of unleavened bread. Matzah is the symbol. So what does that mean? Well, it's meant to conceptualize the deliverance out of Egypt. He saved them in Egypt, and then he brought them out of Egypt. The coming out of Egypt is what the matzah represents. In fact, it's called the bread 
of haste, the bread of haste. Leaven, well, we won't go into that because I don't have time. Suffice it to say, the meaning is coming out of slavery into freedom. The initial fulfillment, well, Jesus, after he died, he descended into hell. He went into Sheol and he preached to all those souls that were back in Noah's day, if you remember. And he took the keys of death out of the hands of the devil and he rendered him powerless, triumphed over him on his turf in the underworld. And then he rose from the dead and he ascended onto high. Out of hell into heaven. The ultimate deliverance out of hell itself into the heavens where he received the scepter of God at the right hand of God to rule and reign forever and ever. Then we move on to first fruits. The day following the Sabbath of Passover week. First fruits is all about the early barley harvest. Barley is the first grain that turns in the early springtime. And so they would take a sheaf of barley. That was the symbol for first fruits. It was the first fruits of the harvest. It was the first harvest. You know, it was, it was that time of the year in which you would have new grain, you know, after a long, hard winter. What was the meaning? The meaning of that was this. God promises new life. Over and over and over, we see this in the cycle of the calendar. This reminder that God brings us new life. He's the source of life. The initial fulfillment, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul references that resurrection with this terminology, first fruits. He says Jesus is the first fruits of the dead. And just as Jesus came out of the ground, so will you. What has happened to the Son of Man will happen to you. You too will rise. If he rose, you will rise. So God gives us new life in his Son. Resurrection life in his Son. Being born again is about being filled with that indestructible life of God in us that makes us new every day. I feel new, empowered every day. And then I look in the mirror, and I'm thinking, I shouldn't be feeling so good, right? But our bodies are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, immortalized, glamorized. I'll have hair again. Oh, my gosh, can't wait. In him, we have new life, and it's already begun. We go on to the next one, the summer festival, Shavuot. Shavuot means basically seven, seven weeks, right? From the time you start the count in the week of uh, Passover. Uh, the Greek word is Pentecost. It means 50 days. It's the same amount of time. Seven weeks is 50 days. So it's 50 days after we start the count, of course. The 50th day is Pentecost or Shavuot. The symbol. What is the symbol of Shavuot. Two big puffy loaves of bread, big, fat, fresh bread. Think Alicia. Alicia makes us beautiful loaves all the time, right? So there's two big fat ones for Shavuot because really what that's referring to is the outpouring spirit, which when it comes, there's a prophecy that's rooted in Abraham and then seen throughout the later prophets about the Gentiles coming in, the Gentiles, the inclusion of the Gentiles at the end of the age. Salvation is to the Jew first, but through Israel, all families will be blessed. The Messiah and the message of Messiah goes out to the nations, and then the nations become 
uh, begin coming in. And so in this uh, celebration of Shavuot, Shavuot, which includes the outward spirit, the prophecy of Gentiles coming in uh, takes place. Jews first and then Gentiles who are one in Messiah and constitute the Israel of God. Two big puffy loaves of bread, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. And the two become one in Messiah. And God's fulfillment, his, his, his fulfill, fulfillment of what he promised Abraham finds its initial fulfillment at Pentecost. Because it's on the heels of that Pentecost event in which the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And from that point on, the Jewish people are overwhelmed in every generation by mass numbers of Gentiles getting saved and coming in. That's amazing in every way. Yom Teruah, the day of blowing. Right? This is when you blow the shofar. The symbol is the ram's horn. This is the symbol of the day of blowing. Just a ram's horn, right? And so that symbol of the ram's horn uh, carries with it a lot of rich meaning, of course. And uh, it's during that time, one of the uh, pr prominent usages of the ram's horn is to blow it at the time the kings are revealed and coronated. So that's one of the times in which they bring out the ram's horns and they just blow and blow and blow. It's at the coronation of a new king. And so what we have in this celebration of Yom Teruah is a king is being revealed. A king is being coordinated, coronated. And the initial fulfillment, of course, is Jesus himself. Jesus is that king of kings and lord of lords. The babe born in Bethlehem becomes the king of kings arises, ascends into the heavenlies. When he comes again, guess what we're going to hear? The great shofar, the shofar of God. He's going to blow it and everyone around the globe is going to hear it. With the arrival of the king, the king is coming back. He's coming home to this place. And then this place is going to be recreated. It's powerful in every way. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. The symbol is two goats, two male goats, one for the Lord and one for Azazel. And what is the meaning of Yom Kippur? Meaning is this, God promises to cleanse all things. He promises to cleanse all believers from the defilement of sin and shame. And that initial fulfillment of Yom Kippur is in fact the crucifixion of Jesus. It's the crucifixion of Jesus, his outpoured blood that cleanses us from our sins, our defilement. Ultimately, he will return and cleanse his people as a nation and all believers as we come into the fullness of the age to come. Can you see how each of the holidays is tied into Jesus? They're all centered in him. When you and I keep the festivals, these appointed times, when we teach our children to keep them, it keeps all of us centered in Messiah, rooted, grounded in Messiah. In the ways of God. That's why the calendar is so important. That's why these days are so important. All of the, all of the syncretisms where you know, it's mixed with paganism and the dates are changed, all of that is the work of the Antichrist. It's designed to obscure who Jesus is so that we lose our way, our kids lose their way. That's why this calendar is so important to us. Sukkot, it means dwelling or tabernacles. The symbol is a sukkah. Or a tabernacle, right? What is the meaning? Well, God has promised to dwell with his people. 
He says, I'm going to dwell in your midst. The sukkah represents my dwelling presence. The earthly tabernacle was where I dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And the initial fulfillment of God's promise to dwell with us is the birth of Jesus. When Jesus enters our world in a human sukkah to dwell with and among us, Emmanuel, God with us as a human being. And then finally, the eighth day. The symbol is the, num the number associated with the day, right? Shemini, Aretz, the eighth day, the number eight, new beginnings. And the fulfillment, the initial fulfillment, the resurrection of Jesus. He's the first one that comes out of the grave with a glamorized, immortalized body. It's the new creation that's coming. What we read about in Revelation 21 breaks into our history in the resurrection of Jesus. The new creation has already begun. Now, the ultimate fulfillment is going to come later when he returns again, but it's already started. Your born-again experience connects you with that resurrection of Jesus so that you begin to experience, even in the here and now, the new life of God that's coming in its fullness with his return. Every one of these days centered in Jesus. The calendar is about Jesus. That's why we keep the calendar, because we're in love with Jesus. So in our conclusion, let me just state that coming out of the kingdom of the serpent, isn't that interesting to you that Egypt, Egypt, the symbol of Egypt is a serpent, it's a cobra. Yeah, the pharaohs who were gods incarnate had the symbol of the cobra on their crown. It was the symbol of the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the serpent. And coming out of the kingdom of the serpent includes replacing the pagan syncretisms with God's holy days. Part of us being born again and coming out is to let go of the world's calendar and return to our Father's calendar. That's part of what he's called us out of and into. So I'll leave you with Galatians 4, 8 through 10. Paul speaking to the Gentiles here in this passage. And he says, formerly, when you, the Gentiles, did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now that's a revelation. Paul saying to the Gentiles, what are you doing playing around with these, these, these false gods who are commemorated in these false pagan holy days. What are you doing messing with that? Why are you returning to that? Why are you observing those days and those seasons? You're to come out of that. The Father has a calendar. Have I labored over you in vain that you would be returning to those pagan days? I think that's just absolutely like almost a brain aneurysm when you think about it, right? What that's saying. See, when Paul talks about sacred holy days, he uses different terminology. 
In Galatians, he's talking about the days of Rome. They have a calendar. A lot of their holy days are tied into their gods. But Paul doesn't use the reference to days, months, and seasons, and years when he talks about the calendar of the Father. That's how we know that, that he's talking to Gentiles about the Roman calendar, believing Gentiles who, who are still observing all of these pagan holy days. When Paul wants to reference God's holy days, he uses different terminology. For instance, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. Those are the terms that are tied into our Father's calendars. They're different than the terminology that Paul uses when he references the calendar of Rome. So basically, in the end, he's saying his followers of Jesus come out of all that. Come into your father's ways. You're grafted into Israel. You're no longer a part of Rome. You've become citizens of Israel. Leave the Roman stuff behind. Leave the Roman chicks behind. Leave the Roman holy days behind, right? And come into the fullness of your father, who is king and God over Israel. Therefore, as believers, we embrace the calendar that he, Jesus, embraced and kept. We're followers of Jesus. Part of what it means to follow Jesus is to do the things he did, to keep the days he kept. They're all about him. They're celebrations. Who doesn't love a good party, right? And the Father has plenty of, plenty of celebrations that he's given to honor and exalt his son. That's why we keep them. The holy days inform us, they shape us, and they keep us centered in Messiah. It gives us the opportunity also to share the glory of Jesus all year long. When we celebrate the holy days of God all year long, we have these seasons every year throughout the year that highlight something powerfully beautiful about Jesus so that all year long we are sharing Jesus. We are demonstrating the love of God through his son that's exemplified and pictured in these holy days. And I'll tell you what, if you want a Christ-centered family, a Christ-centered life, jump into the, the, the calendar, the liturgical calendar, this calendar of redemption and sanctification. It will keep you 365 centered on Jesus. Amen? All right, Shabbat Shalom.